Welcome, welcome. Today in an epic Cliff Central podcast, the main sessions collaborates with Zim Conversations to bring you the stories and experiences of working class immigrants in South Africa. Working class African nationals make up a good chunk of South Africa's undocumented workforce, right? Doing a lot of the jobs that you and I won't, such as cleaning, domestic work, petrol attending, waitressing, building, Mm. and even bouncing. Yes, we've all had our run-ins with that unforgiving African giant at the club. Anyway, not only do they do mostly undocumented work, which makes them obviously vulnerable to all kinds of malpractice, but they're often paid far less than South Africans to do the same work. As if that wasn't bad enough, it also leads to much of the xenophobic tension that exists in working class communities, with South Africans complaining that our African brothers and sisters are stealing their work. Now, add the often terrible conditions these men and women have to leave their families in back in their home countries, not to mention the administrative hull that is South Africa's immigration laws, and what you have yourself truly is the un-South African dream, to put it mildly. Am I right, guys? Well, hot damn, you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I definitely concur. Um, I mean, the reason why we actually started Zim Conversations was because of the number of Zimbabweans, and we, you know, we call ourselves immigrants right. that are in the country. And it's, it's basically that one piece of paper that's absent, which, like you rightfully said, mm. documentation. That is what then leads to exploitation and oppression of, of foreign Before labor. we actually talk about uh, the working class specifically, because I think they are particularly vulnerable, what is your experience as a middle class Zim immigrant with, with documentation? Um, I think, I, I won't say it's been particularly pleasant, because whenever you're trying to get a job, whenever you're applying, you know, you actually have jobs that are advertised that says South African citizens yeah. only. <laughs> so, I mean, so I won't say it's particularly pleasant, but it's definitely been better than someone who doesn't have, uh, okay. you know, papers. Then um, there's always that uh, tendency to try and also just, uh, you know, oppress, not necessarily oppress, but exploit the fact that you're Zimbabwean. The assumption is that you're desperate. Right. The, that the fact that And does that left, apply at every level? It applies at every level because the, the thing is, they're like, okay, wait, let's get the Zimbabwean. Yes, he's got paperwork, uh-huh. but because he left Zimbabwe right. and he's suffering, he'll take 14,000 instead of 18. So you're expected to be willing to make certain compromises? Because, well, apparently the assumption is you're desperate. Otherwise, why would you be here? Unbelievable. And so, do you find you're willing to make those compromises? No, I won't. Okay, good no. for you. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to add a little bit to that because I'm a different kind of foreign, but an African foreign foreign national nonetheless. Am I the only South African in this room? Basically, yes. <laughs> that is rare. <laughs> but um, what I've also realized, so so even with things like bursaries or different types of jobs, the language requirements also exclude you. So there's there's quite a lot of things that are sort of written in legislature that, that does exclude. I, I wanted to add on to Tulisa's point. You see, it's very difficult coming from a, a country like Zimbabwe, mm. where... Zimbabwe is a very Western kind of country. You know, it's like a Western African country. Mm. Everyone speaks English. So where you'll find a job opening or an advert, 
in a, in a tabloid in South Africa that says must be completely bilingual, Africans and this right, and this and right. that. In Zimbabwe, there are no such you know hmm. requirements because no matter who you're working for, hmm. no matter what company, even if you're selling cigarettes on the street, corner, right, you have some level of competence with the English language. Okay. Uh, Zimbabweans are also very well traveled, of course, for obvious reasons. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, greener pastures. But your education system is notoriously very, very good. Exactly. And so, I mean, part of the struggle in my mind must be to come from such a strong education system. Exactly. And, and then to, to come to South Africa and have to do work, mm-hmm. um, that in many ways is, is, is beneath yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, you know, that's what people are going through. Whilst at the same time, I've seen in like my tertiary institution, for instance, that they value the supposed intelligence of African nationals more than South African black students, because I think the perception that there's a better education outside of this, outside of South African institutions is So that's kind of the interesting tension, um, at least I've heard, this is the perception, right, that African nationals are valued more highly for their skills and their intelligence and their work ethic, but paid much less. Does that sound right? You see, it's true, but it it, it depends. You did ask me if it's what levels, to what levels Mm. it's at. Mm. And I think I didn't explain that properly because... They gets that you get to that level where they can't ignore your qualifications. Okay. Where it's no longer you applying for a managerial post because a managerial post doesn't need extremely special skills. You know, mm, you're mm. a manager. When you get to CEO levels, okay. The current CEO of Vodacom Africa Group, Sitom mm. Dlalose, Zimbabwean. Mm. Um, the IDC. You've got Zimbabweans. You know, the IDC. Mm. You've got very influential Zimbabweans. The owner of the Mail and Guardian, who just left, uh, you know, mm. Um, mm. Cliff Central, mm. is Trevor Ngube, Zimbabwean. Right. And he was talking about how he came here right. in the early nineties to apply for a job at Mail and Guardian, didn't get the job, and now he owns the paper. Oh my! <laughs> you know Snap. <laughs> so it's it's really a matter of there are different levels, and I didn't answer that that question properly, but I think. Below the age of 40, below the age of 35, you're still going to be experience a lot of oppression. And um, Okay. So um, let's bring it back and hone in again on, on working class immigrants. Because I think even if you're, you're Zimbabwean or you're a Zimbabwean immigrant in South Africa, your experience can be almost polar opposite to one of someone in the working class, right? Definitely. One way or the other, you're a worker, right? Mm. Uh, and not just a worker. I mean, there are a lot of social um, aspects that come into it. You know, your day-to-day lives, you know, relating, talking to people on the right, streets and right. so forth and so on. Before we so. speculate, though, and compare and contrast, let's actually <laughs> introduce our guest. Um, Sibatle is a domestic worker, and she is a Zimbabwean immigrant. And she's... Here to help us understand a little better what that means in South Africa. And like I said, this is a very real South African reality that I think a lot of us aren't connected with. So welcome, love. Hi, everyone. Um, oh, and it is Heroes Week. <laughs> Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah. Um, yeah, we just we just uh, yeah, let's let's call it Heroes Week. Um yeah, every holiday these days, I'm a week or a, or a, month, or a month, right? Yeah, yeah, I think my it's frame so, of reference yeah. is South it's African, so we turn everything yeah. into like... I think it's basically <laughs> international these days. People, you know, they love the... 
Uh, but the holiday is meant to celebrate uh, war veterans, mm. liberation heroes. Um, I think it's been 30, it definitely has been 36 years since uh, the struggle has been, um, was fought. And, you know, we're very grateful to people who died and spilt their blood for our independence and for our freedom and, you know, the lives that we live now. Yeah. More so, we cannot forget that heroes, um, that we still have heroes who are alive today. Uh, our mothers, you know, who has work that, on a day-to-day has... basis. Um, all the women, you know, people like Smashley who are, you know... Okay, speak. fantastic, actually. And that answers my question because I was going to be like, has heroes taken on a different meaning in Zimbabwe since back then? It, it hasn't because it's it's a state-controlled, you know, tool. You know, let's round everyone up. Let's take them to the Heroes Acre. Let them support, you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm. But I think it should be a social factor where we ourselves look at our parents and our mothers like, hey, mama's going to work. Okay. You know, she's got to go hustle for the family. You know, Smashley is here. She's away from her family. Yeah. Um, and and those are our ordinary day, you know, heroes. And, sure. and I, I hope that through this platform that you guys have invited me on, that people can actually realize that, you know what, you've got heroes in your homes, in your streets 24-7, and we really need to celebrate them. Fantastic. I love that. Um, okay. And with that, Sibatle, how did you get to South Africa? First of all, I came to South Africa to visit my husband, mm-hmm. but later... Due to the situation at home, I just mm. had to look for a job so that I can help him wherever we... So what brought him here? He came here for work. For work? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So can you explain your family dynamic to us? Do you have kids? Yes. Okay. So you met your husband back in Zimbabwe? Yes. Right? Yes. And you guys got married and built a family? Yes. At what point did he have to leave? To come and find work in South Africa? Because of the situation at home. Okay. Yeah, we were struggling to make a living, but there were no jobs. The kids were supposed to go to school, no mm. money to feed them, to send them to school. That's why he ended up go- coming to South Africa. Okay. Yeah. And when he came to South Africa, what made him take that decision? Was that just something people were doing? Yeah, he just followed for the other so that maybe mm. for the like maybe he can get something to feed the children at home okay and at, at what point were things getting really bad financially because I, I don't imagine anyone ever thinks they have to leave their home country and their family to make money and surely you know when you met him and you built a family that's that's not in your plan so at what point what made things so bad the situation at home okay can the you... currency we were using was... right yeah, so that's when he ended up coming here to South Africa to look for a job so that he can feed the family. Okay, home. and you, then you joined him? Yes. And left your children? Yes, the children are back home. What job did your husband get when he arrived? And he's a builder, carpentry, mm. painter, just maintenance. Yeah, he's doing a lot of job. Okay. Yeah. Okay, and then you got here and he wasn't doing very well. Yeah. He was struggling. He was struggling because sometimes he spent two, three months without a job, but he must pay rent where he stays. He wants food and back home children want food. Okay, so did you come over because he wasn't able to send money back? He was, but at first I come just for a visit. All right. Yeah. Then because of the situation... And the money we were using at home, it loses value. Then we end up uh, end up joining him so that we can do everything for our kids so that they can survive. 
they can get a better It's so amazing yeah. how many stories we hear from people who landed up doing what they do or living their lives accidentally where it wasn't even part of the plan like no. so many exactly so many people come and visit or um i i mean we have a one of our our, our co-founders is a domestic worker mm-hmm. and she talks about how she came to south africa yes. to support her mom because her mom was pregnant mm-hmm. and her mom fell ill and died and she ended up taking over from her mom so that's how she became a domestic worker. So what was your experience? So you, okay, so you, you came here, he wasn't doing well, so you decided to find a job. Yes. Okay, and, and then what happened? First, back in Zimbabwe, mm. I was doing like, I was sewing, doing the sewing, the knitting, the cross stitch in self or any, even some here in Zimbabwe, in, some in South Africa. I give the my cousins and co- they come here and sell for me so that I can uh, get money to support the family uh-huh. if the husband didn't do anything, you see. Uh-huh. So that's the way I survive. But at the end, because of the economy, that's mm-hmm. why I ended up in South Africa. Okay, and what was the, the first job that you found? I was just doing the part-time jobs, like a domestic worker. Uh-huh. Sometimes selling the chips for the kids, the tomatoes, mm-hmm. so that they can get something Shucks. to survive. Yes. So how how far did your husband study and how far did you study? It's like here in South Africa, they say it's grade 11. Mm-hmm. Is that you? Yes. Okay. Even him also. Okay. Oh, I see. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then if if... There wasn't a crisis in Zimbabwe. What kind of work would you have expected to be able to get back home? I wanted to be a teacher mm. or a social worker. Mm. That's the two main things I wanted to do at home. Mm-hmm. Yes. And what did he want to do? He? Mm. No, he was just, he didn't, I didn't know exactly okay. his plans. Yes, yes. Are you still with him, your husband? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. And can you tell us about how your family is currently living back home? I mean, that must be so painful for any parent, but a mother in particular, you know, to come somewhere on holiday and then end up leaving her children behind. So how are they, how are they faring? It's hard for them to live without their parents. Even me, it's painful because I only see them once a year. Once a year. One time? Yeah. Who are they living with? The granny. The granny, yes. right. Mm. Um, Even now, they, it's hard, but they understand that. When my men, they, they are out in South Africa, they can give us food. You can yeah. go to school. You can some, okay. afford some little things okay. in life. Yes. So mm. do you feel like then the sacrifice has been worth it? Are you able to support them? Not much, but I'm trying. Yeah. Yes, I'm trying. Um, Sibathle, just firstly, were you going to continue studying if you stayed in Zimbabwe? Yes. Okay, so, yes. You, so you would have become a teacher. Yes. And um, what do you imagine will happen with your children when they get to a stage where they must go to university? Will you also then bring them here? Or what is the plan? I want them to be more educated than me so that they can show me the way forward because me, I didn't see the light they, they are going through now. Mm. So with the jobs that both you and your husband have, are you able to save to maybe make different decisions regarding their education? Yeah, we are trying. Mm. Yeah, we are trying. After coming into South Africa, yes. 
and then staying with your husband. Uh, have you ever thought of other avenues for you to make money back home? Are there any other opportunities whilst you're here to make money back home in Zimbabwe? Yes, sometimes we we order some stuff like shoes, clothes, mm-hmm. and we send them and back send home. Them back for yeah, sale. those at home, yeah, they sell them so that they can get some income. When if we don't go, we don't give them some of. Okay, yeah. Okay, because I was thinking to myself, of course, um, I have a lot of you know local uh, South African South African friends, and I wouldn't want to assume that there aren't people in South Africa who are going through the same thing. The only difference is that, like I said before, Zimbabweans travel more than South Africans in general. Mm. So for a Zimbabwean, making a plan would be, maybe let me leave for a bit. Let me go and explore and see what I can do outside my country. You know, it's it's in our DNA, basically. Um, However, there are people who are also suffering, local South Africans who are also suffering, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think about... um, you know, that's what happens with urbanization, right? Yeah, exactly. And there's so many South Africans still living in rural, rural communities mm-hmm. who leave their families there mm-hmm. and come to the cities. That was the whole design of apartheid, yeah. you know? And so maybe the distance is yeah. shorter, but, you know, it's the same it's kind the of same, yes. phenomenon. Rural urban migration, yeah. But, uh, yeah. But then, you see, now the thing is, uh, where our government has now failed our own people, is that, okay, fine, they've tried to make, you know, this, they've made a plan. We call it making a plan in Zimbabweans. We make a plan. Yes, I hear this making a plan thing all the time. I love it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> a Zimbabwean will make a plan to contribute to the GDP of the country, to contribute to the liquidity of the country, come to South Africa, make money here, use that money to buy things here, mm-hmm. send back home for sale to make money there, and then they close the borders. Yes. That's you remember the that, you know, that they, yeah, they stopped the importation yeah. of goods from South Africa. Yes. They oh did wow. It. Which is ridiculous. Mm. A lot of people uh, survive on that, buying and selling. Is that still able to happen it's illegally, or is it? Well, of course, there are illegal ways. <laughs> no, but I want to know from you. Since then, yeah. have you sto- since they officially closed the borders? We can't to... discuss that. <laughs> oh, really? I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Where is he? Where is he? Where's Uncle Bob? <laughs> but I mean, have you found since then you've still been able to find ways to to get stuff to Zimbabwe? Sorry? Have you still been able to find ways to, to send stuff home? No, since then I didn't transport anything. Oh, really? I'm just waiting for the situation to come down. Maybe it's going to come down, maybe. Ish. I don't know. Yeah. That's yeah. your... Because that sounds like it would have been a, a significant amount of income for the, the immigrant community here, right? right? Yes. Yeah. Unbelievable. Okay. So we were talking a bit about the, how, you know, this this migration situation it, it also happens in South Africa, right? It's it's not it's not just a, an African national thing. Um, but I want to kind of talk about the difference right and uh, the difference being legal i want to try and understand how much protection you're afforded as a citizen even of the lowest class what do you think is the difference between you and a south african domestic worker some we are not paid enough Mm -hmm. they just take us for granted that they don't have papers they are border jumpers so they pay us just a little okay are you here legally sibatle no Okay. No. Wow. I don't know if I was allowed to say that on air. Okay. Yes. Um, we'll figure it out. <laughs> I 
don't think anyone's going to come looking for you because of that. There are one too many legal immigrants. Oh, this, this is fantastic. I was living on the edge, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, okay. So now, legally, what have been your biggest challenges? Why is it easier to be a working class person in South Africa with papers? Because you, you can do some, open the bank accounts. Mm-hmm. Bank accounts. Yes, That's huge, yes, right? Yes, How yes. do you send money back home? Sometimes there are those who travel nearly every week at home. No, are you serious? Yeah. Do you send money with people? Yes. Oh my goodness, I didn't know that was happening. But I mean, I mean, it actually makes more sense to send money with people because you see the phenomenon that's gone on recently is that the reason why people in Zim are really disgruntled this year is because we had been using the US dollar from 2009, mm-hmm. slightly earlier, but it was legalized tender in 2009. The economy started to get better. Superficially though You know it wasn't Fixing any problems But things were back On the shelves You know there was Forex in the country People weren't earning a lot But certain things Had started to change You Mm -hmm. could see on the streets I remember I was talking To Gareth and he actually Said yo I could see in 2013 That "Mm, Zimbabwe You know things Had started to change Mm. And But what that did For people like Svartle And a lot of uh, People who were working In South Africa Who needed to send money back Mm. Is that the way we use money And the way you guys use money Is totally different yeah. See, A thousand rand for you Is a right, lot of money right. right A thousand rand in South Africa Is a lot of money but A thousand cool. rand is what I would I mean I'll give that to my nephew To go and have a, a, <laughs> Oh okay So you're, you're not talking about The currency equivalent You're saying a thousand Zim do- dollars is, is not a lot of money No 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 I'm okay. saying a thousand rand Is not a lot of money A thousand rand So if someone wants to send a thousand What you buy with a thousand rand here If you're to send it back home Into US dollars it's nothing It's, it's nothing. peanuts yes. So that phenomenon started I mean it, it, I think that's when It started being really tough Why is that not making Any sense to me I I don't have like A, a mathematic brain one US, <laughs> one US dollar Right now Equates to 13 uh, 13 rand 42 cents Yes Right So basically What we're saying is that okay. Your currency is weaker I understand You know I understand. At one point in time It was 1 is to 6 I understand. You know what, I mean? you know what? I'm so confusing it with. Rand would be two dollars. It was a bit okay. Better. Do you know what? No, I'm getting confused because I'm thinking about the Zim dollar. Oh, okay. Well, right. the Zim dollar hasn't been in existence for what? Over yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, eight, that, yeah, that's eight, what so confused years. me. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I understand. So I mean, so it's been very tough for people here mm. to send money back home, which mm. is why I was asking Sebastian about, um, you know, closing now. So first of all, in terms of sending money with someone, it's cheaper. Because then they don't deduct all the commissions and the yes. taxes from the bank yes. and so forth. Cash, and then they get cash. Then they find a way to change that cash into U.S. dollars there. Or send goods. Yes. You know, it's go better. to Mr. Price. Because one thing is clothing and other things like that are much cheaper, Sebastian, in yes, South Africa yes, than back than home. Back home mm. yes. yeah. Even the situation now, if you send money through the banks... When the one at home wants to draw that money, they say there's no money in the bank. That's, That's another thing now, yes. Now. That's the other yeah. case now, yeah. So sending through another person is much better. And, and now, cheap. okay, mm-hmm. how, how do you establish a trust system? I was about to system. ask them. Yeah. yeah, like who do you trust? Who do you know that will surely get that money to where you're taking it? Because I don't know if we just don't necessarily trust each other as South Africans, but... <laughs> And I don't want to make a blanket statement because, you know, we have things that work here like stock fells, right? But, that, geez, that's, that's a, you have to establish huge trust to be able to, to do that successfully over time. And, and so, first of all, does it work? Yes, it's working and it's good. 
and it works well. And yes. do you do those people get anything out of it? Yes, they gain something. Because sometimes if you send like a thousand rand, maybe you give him hundred rand to deliver oh, okay. that money. All right, yeah. okay. So I thought there like, had to be some kind of give and take. You know, right? I thought maybe even okay. those people we give them the goods to deliver it home mm. is their job. Their All job right, so that's a profession. Yeah, that's yeah, incredible. Yeah. That is so interesting. So a money them. carrier yes. is an actual. Yes. Pro- okay, that's mm. that is amazing. amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. Okay. So banking doesn't re- d- really doesn't work. I noticed on my e-wallet at some point, and I'm with FMB, um, that there was an option to send to Zimbabwe. Yes. Is that something? Yeah, e-wallet has, because I use FNB as well, and you know, you've got that option. It never works. Mm. I mean, the banking system in, in, in South Africa is very, very difficult. You see, that's another thing, the difference between Zimbabwe and South Africa. It makes it even more difficult for people who don't earn that much. Mm. The banking system in South Africa is very, very restrictive. I if if I was to come back from Zim with a thousand dollars, which also is nothing, for me to change that month, I'd be like, ah, yo, okay, a thousand dollars, sixteen thousand rand. This is too much. Where is it coming from? Right. In Zim, I mean, Zim is like New York. It's like the UK. You can have close to five hundred pounds. Right. A thousand, you, so you're saying it's in your you, you're saying it's strict. You're saying the regulations are tight. South Africa, yes, the regulations are not just tight. They're Close to being repressive. Okay. Because $2,000, in all honesty, is not a lot of money. Mm. But then if you were to have $2,000 in rands here, that's what? That's about 30,000 rand. People will be like, yo. <laughs> Which is funny, because I think we pride ourselves by our financial institutions. Um, I think they're among the, the leading in the world. No, they're most, the most expensive. I did my economics yeah. immediate gives. It's, it's South Africa has some of the, the most, um, the highest bank charges in the world. Bank charges, huh? Yeah. Sure. Like your banking system. If but we definitely have the infrastructure is what I'm saying. No, the infrastructure is there. And even in Zimbabwe, the infrastructure is there. Mm. Because we have EcoCash, which is basically like their um, e-wallet. You must send money with e-cash sometimes. Next question. Yeah, I'll try it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, I'm just saying okay, the structures are there and so forth. And so I'm just saying coming from a system like Zimbabwe, mm. coming to South Africa, the structures are there in Zimbabwe, but it's a matter of choice. Yeah. Do you want to use it or do you not? There are options yeah. of you to send money out. You know, Western Union, MoneyGram, and no one's going to ask you where you got the money from. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. Here, it's, it's, but I understand because there's also, there are also immigrants who then um, indulge in illegal and activities. And abuse the system. Yeah. So yeah. what then happens is, I think South, the South African government is afraid of that money leaving illegal, illegal yeah. money yeah. leaving the yeah. country. Yeah. yeah. So um, what have you found is maybe some of the benefits of being in this country? Apart from leaving your family, but just about life here. What What is about life here you think is maybe better? Uh, it's better because I can make a living for my family. That's the best thing. Yeah? Yes. My family can live a normal life. Why this country then in particular? Was there any other African country that could have given you the same opportunities to make money for your family? That's a good question, guys. Why South Africa? Because now we're third on the continent in terms of our economy. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Why not Nigeria? Why not Egypt? (laughs) South Africa is the closest. It's the border, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, coming from a, a, a different um, immigration kind of status, yeah. I think, and, and that's another problem that we have in Zimbabwe, opportun- it's not just that opportunities aren't there. Zimbabwe is small. Mm. You know what I mean? We're a very small country. Um, there's no way you'd open up 
what's a good example? What's a good example of something that's really big but really not that important that's in South Africa? Um, no, I mean, you know, you have the luxury of opening up more businesses because there's a bigger market. Okay. You know, so certain things that we would see as unnecessary yeah, in Zimbabwe. Yeah. There's a market I'll for give you an here. example. We have two news cafes. Hmm. In the whole of Zimbabwe. <laughs> and that works? And it works. There would be riots, yeah. Because it's too small. <laughs> there would be see? riots. And at Sebastian, a lot of Zimbabweans work as waiters and waitresses at yes. Cafe, right? Yes, yes. So, uh, South Africa, because of its size, yeah. presents a lot of other opportunities. And also because of the way it has progressed in terms of, uh, I don't know how to, how to explain this, but I'm saying things like, I'm, I, I'm a political science uh, honors graduate and Ooh. economics and media. Congratulations. But it's only in a place like South Africa where I can then be on radio. Yeah, okay. Fair you enough. know what I mean? Right, yeah. so that's what I want to kind of speak to. In terms of, in terms of your freedom, yeah. do you find South Africa is better in any way? Yeah, South Africa is better in freedom. Can you explain that? In most, what ways do you feel more free here? Most you do whatever you like okay. in South Africa, but in Zimbabwe like there are what? challenges. Tell me. Like what? Give me an example. Like what I'm doing now in Zimbabwe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on in radio. Zimbabwe, I, to... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. Yes, see, so this is epic. <laughs> I can't do this in Zimbabwe. Um, Sibasha, I also just want to ask, um, how easy it is to become a legal immigrant? Mm. Yeah. How, how easy is it in our country? Oh. Has it been a struggle? No, for me it's not. Okay. Yeah. Have you have just, you tried? <laughs> <laughs> just for me, what I wanted to just get a job to feed my family so that I can live a better family. A better okay, but it, do you feel like if you got your papers, yeah. life would be better for you? I got papers in yeah. South Africa. Yeah, it's fine. Would it be? But be- when things are mm. right home, I want to go back. If a Zimbabwean immigrant came to this country and asked you for a job. Mm. Um, do you have a sort of network where you can help her get a job, even if it's domestic work or something else? Do you yes. have any sort of networks? No, I just go around and ask for any job so that I can let her in. You can work. Or okay, but if you're desperate, I'm assuming you will ask a Zimbabwean before you ask a South African. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can do that. I feel like you're South Africans. I might ask you Zimbabwe first. They work, but they are not that enough to work. But now I want to talk about the cultural differences, right? You know, we talk about Ubuntu, and I, you know, I hate the use of that word now because it started to mean nothing. But we talk about Ubuntu continent-wide, right? This idea of like, you know, we help each other and this idea of community. Do you find that is strong in South Africa? It's, it's not that much, but some of the South Africans, they see Zimbabweans as they, they are humiliating their lives here in South Africa. Huh? Explain. They say Zimbabweans, they came here to take their jobs away. They are now struggling to get jobs. But if you go to the office, wherever you go, you find there are Zimbabweans inside. They are working inside. Just because the Zimbabweans are hard worker. Mm. And sometimes Zimbabweans, they don't choose a job. They just, when, what comes, they take it and work. Do you have South African friends? Yeah. Yeah? A few. A few? Yeah. Okay. Um, Kesu, do you have South African friends? 
Yeah, a few as <laughs> well. Um, no, I've, I've got some very good uh, South African friends, Daniel Magalefa. But <laughs> oh my God, the fact that you had to name him means that you don't have that many. No, he's, like, he's, he's the first dude that came into my world. You know? And because, and I think it's because our relationship as friends is based off of how hardworking he is. Okay. Um, you can't be friends with someone who doesn't share the same goals. Yes, right. yes. I think my selection of friends is not based on where you're from. It's right. based on your principles and right. values as an individual. Okay. Yeah. No, and, uh-huh. and there is that stereotype. That prejudice, that South Africans are less hard, hardworking. It's my, situational, though, I don't think you think? It's situational. My friends, my South African friends are very hardworking. Yeah, I think it's hard to, to kind of make a blanket statement. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you've already highlighted the reasons why Zimbabwean immigrants would have a different work ethic. Mm-hmm. Culturally, South Africans just, you know, like, like a good time. You know, we take it easy. And that's across the board. I mean, working class, middle class, upper middle class, all the way to the top. Right, most South Africans are trying to leave at 4 p.m. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That's exactly what I was gonna say. I was gonna say, you know what? I remember people would leave. Some people leave the house at nine. I'm like nine. <laughs> nine o'clock. I put in an hour and no, a half of work. Guilty, <laughs> guilty. You know what I, mean? I don't leave my crib before like 10 a.m. <laughs> On average, I don't get it. I don't get it. And then, and that's the life I aspire to. I, I have desi- and the sac- you would be surprised, the sacrifices I have made to avoid leaving home early in the morning, right, <laughs> and to avoid traffic. I have structured my entire. Yeah, life. and traffic <laughs> is your blessing. Traffic <laughs> is any South African worker's blessing because when they leave early, when they leave no, when they leave late in the morning, they're like, "Boss, I was avoiding traffic." <laughs> When they leave early, they're like, you know what? I don't want to get caught in traffic. But you see, why is it the other way around? Wake up at six and then leave at six. But you see, this is something that applies broadly here to all South Africans, you know, and it's something we all laugh about. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Like I said, if there were two news cafes in South Africa, there would be riots. Enough said. I think it's it's also just a matter of like I said, work ethic and not just work ethic, but loving what you do. Yeah. Uh, I would never leave. The office before I, I I finish what I need to do on that day. Yeah, and but you know I, what? I'm also that person who hates backlog. But like I don't want to start my day with work from yesterday. Look, to be fair, I find ingenuity comes into it a lot, right? Like just being streetwise and, and working smart. And I do find a lot of South Africans that way. You know, I know, and I, I'll speak for myself personally. It, I was raised to work smart. You know, and to put like a profound amount of effort in a short amount of time and get results. Yeah, that's I mean, Do you see what yeah. I mean? And it's just yeah, a different, exactly, yeah. but it's a different type of, and then some people are, are like hard workers. Some people, you know, really actually enjoy the slog and, and that's just not me. And I think it's just different strokes for different folks, but I don't think one is more or less valuable than the other necessarily. I just think it depends on whether you like what you're doing or not. And of course, it's also a matter of motivation. Yeah, but I are like they, life are, too. Are there, are there, I like life more. <laughs> are there incentives at work? You know what I mean? If yeah. there are incentives, say, okay, you've done this and this amount of time, so you know you get off. But I wanted to ask, you guys asked this question, Sebastian, and I know her because she's my sister, and I know my sister's from Zim. Sebastian, they asked you, how do you like being in South Africa? Of course you don't because you miss your family. Yes. But socially, I want to ask socially, mm. you know, do you enjoy South Africa, the the culture, the people, uh, the day-to-day lives? Would you raise your daughter yes, in South Africa? No. No. 
I can't raise him here. Okay, so you wouldn't want you wouldn't want your child to identify as South African. You don't, you you wouldn't want to raise South African children. Yes, I can raise them, but not I, yours. No, mine. I don't like them. Too. Why? Tell us. No, because <laughs> <laughs> no. But this is what I want to hear because I think it's interesting. My mother feels the same way, so you can imagine how she feels. My mother feels the same way, and I'm South African. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Tell us. I want that. I want them to come here just to visit for two, three weeks. Then they go back home, and they can come to South Africa when they are grown up for themselves, not for me to let them come and stay here in South <laughs> That's Africa. That's a popular no, view, no. even among traditional South Africans. I think, mm. particularly post democracy, people mm. feel like um, the culture among black people has has changed a lot. That's why I was saying my mom feels the same way as well. Mm. I want to argue that that is something that comes with progress in many respects and freedom. I uh, joined Zimbabwe Lawyers for Human Rights at the age of 19, straight after high school, and I started what's called the Rights Club, which was an HIV, AIDS, and human rights awareness tool in schools because I, did, I was a national debate champion, but I didn't know anything about human rights. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, if I'm one of the few that's actually highly educated and I don't know about this, what about the rest of the people who are actually in school who don't know their rights? Okay. You see, people talk, and we have... As, as Africa, we have not embraced human rights in the right way. See, you don't just wake up and say, I have rights. And all human rights have what are called provisions. I understand. So freedom of speech does not mean you're allowed to insult me. I and understand. And people get that But I think, I think choice is, is, for me, the most important thing. Do things? you know Zimbabwe was more progressed than South Africa? Yeah. In the, early, in the late 90s and early 2000s? Mm-hmm. Because you guys only got your independence in 1994. Right. We were coming from 1980. Okay. You know what I mean? And um, in terms of progress, I think it's just a matter of discipline. Maybe parents have don't have time. I look at some of my friends, mm-hmm. some of these kids growing up, even in Zim- Do you think Zimbabwe mm-hmm. is more traditional than South Africa? I think not traditional. I think we're more conservative. Right. Okay. We're more conservative. Do you see, and this is where I was saying, for me, it comes down to choice. For me, that is paramount to anything. And within choice, there is a spectrum. Right. That means you can choose to be conservative or you can choose to run buck wild. Okay, but I think it is important for you as an individual to be able to choose which end of the spectrum you want to align with or where in the spectrum you want to be. No, I mean, I agree with you, but the difference with Sebastian's children is that she will show them the... But the you cannot children. police it. That's what I'm saying. No, no, no. I'm saying okay. she will show them. You see, people, it's not policing. It's showing someone the consequences of being reckless with your life. Mm-hmm. So, for example, in families, you know what they'll do? They will see, find her daughter with a boy. Mm. She'll take that girl and take her to an HIV AIDS ward. Mm. And be like, or take her to the raw areas and say, you see your aunt who had a child when she was 12. Yeah. This is the life. Is this the life that you want to live? Discipline is a very important thing in our culture in Zimbabwe. And our discipline is not just corporate, but we, I mean, corporal, but we understand the consequences. Guys, the rates of teenage pregnancy in South Africa, the rates of rape in South Africa, those are things that there's no discussion mm. about, you know, there's a right or there's a wrong. Um, if children are starting to have sex at 14 and 12 and 13, do you know what I was doing when I was 14? And I'm not that old, but I mean, I was still playing video games. I wouldn't even hold a girl's hand like, oh my God, he's holding her hand. <laughs> and it wasn't, it, it wasn't even about us being afraid of our parents. But you know what? Our environment 
just said, yo, girls, I would have girls over at home and play video games. And our parents wouldn't even be worried mm. because our minds weren't even there. Mm. We were allowed to grow naturally and say, okay, now, oh, wait, now I feel some type of way. But at 14, 15, if you're already thinking sexually, it means your environment, you've been, you've been, it's there, you know, in your environment. Yeah. The things people I think it's it's yeah. hard it's hard to do this without policing and saying what is right and what is wrong. I don't think it is policing. It it's not at all policing because I think there's a difference between um dictating how someone must think and showing them the different options that they have and showing them the gravity of those choices. Mm. And that so I don't about, think it's about, is policing. Okay, great. So yeah. if you guys are saying it's about creating awareness and education around Rights and responsibilities Like you were saying As opposed to saying This is the right set of values Then I can agree with you yeah. I think there isn't enough Emphasis here On On that kind of Awareness mm-hmm. I think policing Is just a very strong word mm. We focus on our education We want to succeed mm. I think at the end of the day It's not even just about policing Or not exposing If those things Are not in your child's life They're not You can't go out And look for drugs And then put them In your child's face Right But I think what you need To instill is motivation to succeed Exactly and, and I'm all for that In the face of those things yes. Right Because those things are realities Do you know what I mean And mm-hmm. I just I just I would be skeptical to, to to completely Erase those things From the radar And then I want to get into that And say Sebastian What do you struggle The most with About South African culture What troubles you the most When you think South Africa And the culture <laughs> What makes you go <laughs> The freedom they have they have too much freedom compared to Zimbabwe. Is there such it's a thing? It's not that bad, but... Yes, I think there really is. Yeah. Is there such a thing? Can you please educate me on this thing called too much freedom? There's no limit. You can yeah. do whatever you want. Even a five-year-old child, you can report. If you beat him or her, you can go and report you to the police. But you are not beating him to abuse. You are not abusing him. Mm. You are just... Corporal punishment. No, sure, but that is okay. So now that is that is a cultural thing, right? Some places it's acceptable, some places are not. But you know, like I think that needs to be taken on a household to household basis, and who who that child's parents are, and how they, you know, I don't think you could beat someone else's child. Even though you do that, your child can go report you. Can I? Can I just say in in Congo? In Congo, they do they do the whole. You know, it takes a village to raise a child. Mm. So if if you're found on the street as a child doing something wrong, Mm. anyone that is your elder can beat you. Yes, and can correct you, and you have to to grant them the same respect that you would grant your parents Mm. because they are your elder. Yeah, but you Mm. see, where are the lines there? Like, how do you know the grounds are right? It's very rare for that for any random person to just beat another child. Mm. So don't take it literally. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, is it we're a metaphor? Say, I'm not saying people just walk around and decide to slap a kid. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I know, you know, if I'm walking in the street and I see a kid kicking around a little, like a plastic container coming from school, I'm like, hey, Wena, what are you going to do with that after you're finished kicking it around? It's like, I'll throw it in the bin. Good boy. Okay. So it's just reprimanding. I understand that. And it's very common amongst us, especially uh, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Malawi, maybe even not not Botswana so much. But it's very common for us to be like in public. The most common, I know Sebastian, you'll know this one. When boys drop their pants down here, anyone in the street can come and tell you, hey, Wena, lift your pants. And you lift very quickly. You listen. We listen to our elders. You won't find a situation where I'm like, ah, who do you think you are? You're not my parents. Yo, <laughs> that is when you're looking for a beating. <laughs>
what do the what do the parents introduce you as to the children? Are you their aunt? Are you just a worker? What do they introduce you as? They introduce me as the aunt. Okay. But sometimes if things go wrong, they say this worker. You oh, see? Okay. Yeah. Don't listen to her. He's just passing. Look, he's from. So you have no authority. Yes, you don't, yes. They don't look up yeah, to you. Like sometimes they sees. say, don't listen to her. You see? Let me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let me try and put this in perspective. Yes, South African. <laughs> Because I'm having a similar problem with South African kids, right? Mm. Um, so I, I au pair and I have similar, like, you know, it's a different role to, to a domestic worker, but I spend a lot of time with the kids as well, right? And I'm part of their upbringing. And I have noticed that increasingly kids are, are becoming rebellious and talking back and, and, and losing their respect. And it's, it's, it's not, even that they're like deliberately disrespecting you, it's just that they have grown remarkably in confidence. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, it's, it, it's, it's this, it's this mind blowing phenomenon. And I don't, I don't know if it's, I don't know in what types of societies it happens, but that's certainly something that I've observed. This is not all bad. <laughs> as much as I, I just think that it needs to be reined in. Or managed a lot better, but for kids to have grown so much in confidence and in smarts of their own, you know, where they can question if something is wrong, or there's a, a high level of peer review that happens as well. So they'll talk among themselves, and somebody will say, "Actually, you know, this is right or this is wrong, and this is the reason." They 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 suddenly have reasons for their answers. You know, they're thinking. Um, there, and it's not even so much adulting, but it just seems as though kids are engaging more and more. And I think this is a positive. I completely agree. I do. How do we get them to do that respectfully? Exactly. So I think it's the respect that needs to be built back in. But if suddenly, because I have, you know, sometimes little hope for the future of the human race, <laughs> right? Because I think, oh, gosh, you know, the, the kinds of people nowadays who are, are having kids are first of all absent mm. or not that great humans. <laughs> yeah, and I won't say what that means, right? Um, but, you know, where I find the sweet spot for me is a child who has confidence and is raised with confidence and to question uh, and to push boundaries and to inf- innovate and to challenge themselves. A child who is raised that way, but who else also has a the presence of a not even an authority, but at least somebody to, to guide them consistently. So where I've found parents are around and kids are confident, I think there's like a beautiful intersection there. I would just rather my kids be that confident to me. Yeah. What do you think, Sebastian? Yeah, I think you must respect the worker because... 90% of the of your children's life is under the domestic worker, exactly, you see? Exactly. Only 10% is for the parents, mm-hmm. you see? Osbatle, mm-hmm. can you tell us South Africans, right, how better we can support you as a Zimbabwean immigrant or all Zimbabwean immigrants? What can we do better to make you feel more at home or maybe i mean i heard i think it was in your interview where you with gareth where you like don't make us feel at home and that's probably the best thing you can do and i found that actually quite profound 
Because I think people are are inclined to think, you know, the best thing to do is just to make it comfortable here. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, we take things a bit far in some conversations. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think we're that popular back home anymore. Uh, <laughs> but basically what we were saying was giving us refuge is a good thing because people need to take care of their families. But there are certain people that should not be given refuge if they're not actually contributing to what's back at home. So, for example, yes, we're here on Cliff Central, Kamu and I. However, we're still using this platform to raise awareness back home. There are certain people who are empowered to be able to, to, to you know, create change back home. Mm. And the minute you give them all these fancy jobs and all they can think about is buying a house in Four Ways or Santon or, you know, living in the Michelangelo, mm. then they're not going to think about what they can do back home. Mm. So we're not necessarily saying, yo, kick us all out, but at least create structures within whether it's civic society or certain ministries to say, okay, guys, how do we begin the process of assisting you guys to effect change at home? Instead of just saying, okay, you know what, come and live and, okay. you know, be I great. I get that. I get that. Sbatle, what do you think South Africans can do better? Can treat us equally. Yeah? Amen. Don't, they mustn't call us with different names, just we are Africans. We are both Africans, South Africans, Zimbabwe, Botswana, whatever. Okay. Congo, we are all Africans. May I be so bold as to suggest something we can do? What if we just... Do you think there's power in South Africans actually caring to engage you on, on, on your stories, on where you come from, on what's happening back home? To your point, uh, KF, about... You know, don't make it too comfortable. Make sure whatever support that we're giving ultimately it, will result in change. Exactly. Back home, yeah. And I think engagement is part of that mm -hmm. process is, okay, you know, uh, what is the plan? What are you guys doing? What are you guys thinking? What are you feeling? You know? Um, and to your point about just equality, Sibatla, I think you, I think when you understand somebody, and their story and where they're coming from and you connect with them on a human level that leads to a, a feeling a feeling of equality and maybe you know South Africans can realize a lot of the challenges you have are the challenges that we have as well yeah. so you know, should we as South Africans be, be talking more with with African nationals I, I think definitely because at the end of the day what you you see South Africa has what is one of the youngest African nations right mm. in terms of you know um you know, freedom from, uh, the from apartheid yeah the youngest yeah so there is that danger that whatever we're going through now are things that are just a ticking time bomb in South Africa hmm. you know um and every almost every African country has gone through it you know a dictator has come up a dictator but we have Wade <laughs> Wade <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Congratulations to Wade. Whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's just... Say it like you mean it. You know what I mean? Don't hate, appreciate. Wade, Wade is going to solve everything. <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean? I think, yeah, definitely um, conversations need to be had. Um, South Africa is very fortunate because the rest of Africa is just giving you like a living example of, okay, don't do this. You that is I mean? true. We appreciate yeah. that. Don't yeah, do this. Yeah, holla. You know what I Thank mean? you. Don't do this. So. <laughs> Uh, and of course, you've given shelter and refuge to a number of, you know, African uh, refugees and, and, and well, immigrants. We got the same. So, you know, so yeah, yeah, uh, yeah we had South Africans in our house 24 7 back during the war. Uh, but yes, I mean, you know, that, that, that spirit is, is, is amazing. Just learn the lesson so that, you know, 
um, we don't all have to go through the same things. It defeats the purpose of us having to go through those things. What's quite terrifying is that my mother says that she sees um, where this country is going in sort of the same trajectory that she saw Congo's decline. So it, it seems like we're not quite learning. Yeah. Tuliza, how many people have you come across who don't know? Because I mean, Zimbabwe is right across the border, so at least they know Zimbabwe. Mm. Have you come across people who can't even point in South Africa, who can't even point on a map to your country? I remember this, <laughs> this one time I told someone I was from Congo and they asked me where in South Africa is it? So, yes. What now? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. Okay, look. It's shocking. Because I used to go out, like, I used to travel the world and, and, like, feel like I could speak with authority on Africa as a whole. And then I met other Africans, like, all, like, what, 51 other countries. I think there's 52. Um, 55 now. 54, yeah, because of South Sudan and Sudan. Remember? This, yeah. That says 55. 54 are members of the AU, Morocco, and for some weird reason decided not to be, but they're trying to come back. Right. And I realized, man, there's a whole world out mm-hmm. there, you know, and so, like, re- you cannot blanket this continent, not for a freaking second. They call us in East and West Africa, they call Southern Africans posh. Yeah. Yeah. We're considered the posh. Africans. Gosh. <laughs> and then I started to know terms like francophone and lucophone and anglophone and all that. It's, it, yeah, it's great. So literally South Africans know very little. Um, it's just, and I don't know why we're not even taught that in history. It should be such a, an integral part of our syllabus, I think, because you find uh, other Africans know so much about us, right? So that balance needs to be needs to be corrected anyway. So uh, this is why we have this conversation, and we should continue to have conversations like this. Uh, especially, you just want to go back home, hey? Right? You you're saying like you you're not trying to build a life here. You just want to. What do you have a plan? When I'm back home, do you know? Do you know how? Do you know how you're gonna get back home? For now, no. Mm. I don't know. But what is your your ideal tomorrow? If you could, if you could have anything tomorrow, you would go back home and raise your kids. Yes, of course. Yes. Yeah, I want to go home and raise my kids. I don't want them to be raised by someone just because of the situation. That's why I'm here. And do you think that one of the greatest losses to Zimbabweans because of the crisis has been family? Yeah. Yeah. That's very sad. Okay, thank you for joining us um, in this epic fusion of the mate sessions and Zim conversations. I personally would like to do it again. I th- I think this was very very cool, and I love I love that things like this can happen at CliffCentral.com. You know, and it's it's the small things that is that are actually truly historic, and I think that this conversation has been one of those things. Yeah, I'm, um, uh, thank you for having us, guys. Uh, this was really awesome. I agree. I concur. I was talking to Trevor a little bit earlier and he said that one of the biggest advantages and one of the biggest powers that we have as uh, African youth right now in terms of development and sustainability is our conversations and how we, you know, agree to disagree or agree to agree and just throwing things back and forth, you know, that's how we build um, the future of Africa. That's how the ideas come up, the inspirations and, you know, whatever else is meant to happen on the continent. We can We can talk and we can discuss and, you know, 
And this was one of those things. All right, everyone, check you later. Um, please make sure to follow our Twitter page on at Made Project. That's M A I D E Project, as well as our Facebook page. You can just type in Made Project as well, and you'll find it. We're on every Thursday at six. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Twitter is at KFJR2 and at Kamupiri. Uh, yeah, that's about it. You guys are on Fridays at six, huh? Fridays at six, yeah. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. Cliff Central Revolution. I've got something important to tell you. Cliffcentral.com.